You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to the book of Obadiah. Um, we're going to read Obadiah uh, just verses 1 through 4. And uh, we're kind of in the habit of not uh, putting the verses on the screen because um, we, I want you to turn to it in the context of your own Bible or phone or PDA, whatever you have the Bible on. And the book of Obadiah, we're going to end up reading this entire thing today, not all in one big chunk. I'm going to read the first four verses now. But in the Mill Sunday School this morning, we're going to read an entire book of the Bible. Can you handle that? I'm sure you can because you're the Mill Sunday School. So um, the book of Obadiah, it goes Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. So turn to Obadiah. It's a, it's a hard book to find. It's the shortest book of the Old Testament. It's only 21 verses uh, in total. So it's just like a couple paragraphs. And so let's read uh, Obadiah. There's no chapters. It's just one. So it's just verses one through four. And it says this, a vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. Everybody say Edom. Edom is the, this country right to the south of Judah, who this whole prophecy is about. We're going to talk about Edom today, but let me just continue reading these first four verses. It says, We have heard the message of the Lord, an envoy was sent to the nations to say, Let us rise and go against her for battle. And these, so it's the, the prophet Obadiah is speaking prophecy, destruction over Edom. Listen to what it says. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. It's bad news. The pride of your heart has deceived you. So they're a prideful people. People They live in the clefts of rocks. They make their home the, the heights. And you t- who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? So they're a very prideful nation. The Lord is speaking against them. Verse 4, though you soar like the eagle, eagle excuse me, and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do worship you. We praise you. God, we thank you for such books as the Minor Prophets that are, that are hard to study, that are, that are your words to the people who, who lived long ago, you speaking. And God, even though some of these messages are hard and hard to consider and challenging, God, we thank you for them. We know that you are ultimately a good God, a God who loves us. And so we praise you this morning. We worship you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story. It doesn't really have anything to do about Edom, but it has something to do with a prideful gloating over someone else that goes, undergoes a bad thing, which is the whole context of Obadiah. Obadiah is a prophecy against Edom who gloated and who uh, rejoiced when Judah was suffering. And so here is the story. Has anybody ever been night skiing? Here's a picture of a mountain night skiing. Yeah. Does anybody like night skiing? It's kind of fun, but it's, it's it, for me, like if I don't wear goggles, my eyeballs freeze. And I don't like when it, my eyeballs freeze. So I wear goggles. And then when I'm wearing goggles and it's night out and my goggles are shaded, it's just so impossible to see and they fog up. And I feel like night skiing is just kind of like going down the hill randomly at unknown speeds to, to finally hit some. Anyways, so I was night skiing a couple years ago with my buddy. Um, his name's Jesse. He's pretty cool. And we'd always race. We were very competitive. We'd race. We'd make fun of each other. Um, and uh, we were night skiing one night. And I always feel like night skiing is like such a short window, such a short block to go skiing because it's like six to nine. It's only a couple hours. It's not like a full day when you go during the day to ski. And so it always feels like they're, they're calling like last lift line. Like just like, I, I just started skiing. How 
how can it be done already? But anyways, we were close to nine o'clock. We were night skiing, and the girl in the lift line says, last run, guys, which of course to everyone means, actually, it's not the last run. It's the second to last run because you race down, right? Anybody with me? They say last runs. You're like, okay, we got to race down and make one more run and then take our time on that last, last run um, to try to get one more run in, even though the person's like, last run. And so we get to the top. It's like, okay, it's go time. I'll race you down to the bottom. And we were always racing. We'd often, he would win, I would win. But we just love going really fast and just like, tuck, zoom, down the hill. So we're flying down the hill. He ends up winning the race. And so he, he stands up from his tuck position, flying into like this crowd of people that are still getting on the lift line. And like the little corral, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, they corral you into the lift so you can get on it. But um, he flies into the, the corral lift line uh, thing and he just just blows up with, he like falls, skis go flying everywhere, poles, gloves. And I'm watching this whole thing and I'm like, crash. And I'm yelling. It's like all these people are already looking at him like, oh my gosh, is he okay? And here I come, his friend supposedly yelling out, yard sale. <laughs> like when everything flies everywhere, yard sale. Look at him. He crashed. Ha ha. So I'm gloating. I'm rejoicing over my, my friend's pain. And what I didn't know is the reason why he crashed. The reason why he crashed was that the girl who said last lift, you know, last time up, she had put this little tiny rope across like where you go in. And I, I promise you, it was exactly neck high. Why this girl would choose. And so it wasn't like a rope with a sign on it. It was just like a little string. And of course the goggles that are fogged and it's nighttime. He goes flying into this thing, gets caught by his neck. He ends up being okay. Don't worry about him. He's fine. But he flies, skis everywhere. He's on the other side of the rope, just like, oh, my neck and back. Ah, kills. And so I, not knowing why he crashed, just thought he crashed because he's silly um, and, and, and couldn't ski well. And so I'm making fun of him, screaming out yard cell. I come flying in to the same string and it hits me right square in the neck and it kills it like choked me and I go flying and I actually land right on top of him and we're both just like ah our necks and backs ah kills skis everywhere everyone is now since I got everyone's attention of a screaming yard sale they're all now laughing at both of us and the, the destruction that came to my life because I gloated and rejoiced over my friend's um hardship um is is somewhat like uh the book of Obadiah so anyways, um, let's continue with uh, the minor prophets. So to give you just a funny little story to, to preface the book of Obadiah, um, I think will help in, in getting to the big picture of what this whole book is about. But we are studying the minor prophets all this month. We have been, if you've missed the series thus far, we talked about Jonah, Hosea, and Amos already, the prophets of the north. Uh, we're going to continue this series of the 12 minor prophets, these 12 last books of the Old Testament scripture that very few of us know a lot about because they are the minor prophets. They're the ones that wrote a lot less than the major prophets, Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. So we're continuing this series. We've never done a two-month series in the Mill Sunday School, but here we are about in the middle of it now. So next month, we're going to continue um, our study of the minor prophets. As far as announcements go, before we uh, dive into the book of Obadiah, if you're new, welcome. There's, there's cards on the table that are little yellow ones. They're for you to fill out 
information about yourself as much or as little as you want to give to us. And I up here will take your card after Sunday school or the people in the back will take your card and in exchange we'll give you a CD. It's a worship CD from our Friday night service, which by the way is our main service if you're new to New Life um, and, and are wondering what we do for college and 20-somethings here. Well, you're at the Mill Sunday School, so this is part of what we do, um, but our main service is on Friday nights at the Mill, 7 o'clock in the, the main building. So you're invited to that. So um, let's continue digging in figuratively into the minor prophets. Get it? It's funny because the picture and... See, no one on the podcast will think, why, why is everyone laughing? Well... I guess you just had to be there, right? Isn't that funny? It's not that funny. We're digging into the minor prophets. Anyways, all right. Let's talk about Judah. We have been talking about Israel, and so let me put up a map here. We, you've seen this map before. This map may be old news to you by now since we're, this is the fourth week we are in this series of minor prophets. But uh, back in the day, David ruled the entire kingdom. Uh, then Solomon ruled the entire kingdom. Then uh, his, Solomon's son, anybody know his name? Rehoboam, yes, very good, uh, was the last king of the United Kingdom. And then during Rehoboam's reign, the 12 uh, tribes of the north, we call them Israel, we call them the 10 northern tribes, we just call them the northern tribes, uh, or the north, they decided to break themselves off from Judah. They decided to worship idols up there. They decided to go the way of idol worship and, and, and evil. They are often called, the 10 north tribes are called Samaria sometimes in the New Testament. They're referred to as the Samaritans, uh, these, these tribes that did evil before the Lord, um, and, and they're, sometimes they're just referred to as the 12 lost tribes because Assyria will come in and take away Israel like the Lord promised and destroy them. And we, we talked about that last week. We talked about the prophets of doom last week. And so to encourage us today, we're not going to be talking about the prophets of doom today. We're going to be talking about the prophets of destruction today. Big difference. So uh, just be encouraged this whole month and this, this whole this whole series. It is kind of like a Debbie Downer, this whole minor prophet thing. There's a lot of doom and destruction uh, because of the way Israel and Judah went during their times of, of worshiping idols and evil and, and backsliding, etc. So um, here we are looking at the map. So the northern tribe is split from the southern tribe. And so from the, for the rest of our series, we are going to talk about the prophets of Judah, which happen to be all the other prophets. Uh, um, that are not Judah, excuse me, not Jonah, Hosea, and Amos were the prophets of the north. And so all the other prophets of the 12 minor prophets, we're going to talk about them being from Judah. In fact, if you're just curious about where the major prophets came from, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, they also came for, from Judah. And so we're going to be talking about Judah. Let me zoom in here. Here's another map of Judah. And um, I'm going to be talking about Judah. The, the capital city, of course, is Jerusalem. This, the country, uh, the city-state, the kingdom, whatever, right to the south of Judah is Edom, which is the, the focus of our talk, um, at least the first part of our talk today, for the book uh, of Obadiah. And so let's jump into the book of Obadiah. Um, turn to it. If you're looking at it, it's only 21 chapters, excuse me, 21 verses, only one chapter. And so we're going to end up reading the entirety of, of this book because I think it'd be cool if we read an entire book of the Bible at the Mill Sunday School because I know you can handle it and pay attention. But um, let's talk about the background 
down for Obadiah, which really has to do with um, this kingdom of Edom. And we'll talk about Edom. Um, but first, uh, Obadiah, I guess I could talk about him. We, we don't really know too much about him. Um, we don't know really when he lived or who he was. Um, in fact, the, the name Obadiah just means uh, worshiper of Yahweh. There are nine Obadiahs in the Old Testament. And so this Obadiah potentially could be several of them. There's, there's an Obadiah in, I think, 1 Kings 18 that speaks to Ahab, uh, King Ahab. Ahab was uh, the husband of Jezebel, if I got my history right. And so it could be that Obadiah, but it, could, it might not be that Obadiah. Obadiah speaks of one thing that is kind of traceable in history. In, in verse 11, he says, on the day uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. So uh, verse 11, if you're looking at the context of Scripture, it says, on, the day, uh, on that day, you stood aloft. So Edom is standing aloft while strangers carried away the wealth and foreigners entered the gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. So the book of Obadiah is this context of Jerusalem was just destroyed. So going back to the ski story, my friend was just destroyed by the little line. And, and so Edom makes fun of Jerusalem, does nothing to help, does nothing to encourage, just kind of lets the enemy come in and destroy Jerusalem, which kind of sets uh, the whole book of Obadiah. It gives us a date to work with, but it actually gives us two dates to work with because we're not sure who it was that came in and destroyed Jerusalem. It could be the Philistines that came in and destroyed the Jerusalem around uh, 800-something B.C., or it could be um, the Babylonians that came in and destroyed Jerusalem in 500 B.C. So it could be either one of these two dates. If you're a nerd and you like to know the background of things like I do, um, we're not sure which time Jerusalem is being destroyed that is actually being spoken about in Obadiah. You have commentaries and scholars saying both. Like, oh, I think it's this one, the, o- the oldest one. Oh, I think it's this one, the newest one but we're not sure. So the whole book of Obadiah, these 21 verses are about the kingdom of Edom, prophesying against it. Who is Edom? Who are the Edomites? What is this place? Well, back up in history. Is everybody with me so far? So we're talking about Obadiah because I'm about to go on a tangent and that tangent will end up coming back to why we're talking about it. But we're talking about the book of Obadiah. The whole book of Obadiah is a prophecy against this country, Edom. Who is Edom? Who are the Edomites? Well, let's back up in history about a thousand years and talk about um, Genesis chapter 25. If you want, you can turn there, but I'm not going to read anything, but rather just recap the story. Um, and the story in Genesis chapter 25 is of that hairy guy, and he's kind of reddish in hair, and then the other guy on the right giving him a bowl of stew. Does anybody know who those two characters are? Yes, I hear it. Jacob and Esau. And so Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. One of them was Isaac, Isaac has two sons, two twins. One's grabbing the other one's ankle as they come out. The firstborn, Esau, then Jacob. And Jacob, of course, his name gets changed to Israel. And so if I say Israel or Jacob, know that it's the same guy, different name. God gives him the name Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, etc. That's the same guy. So we're talking about Jacob and Esau right now. They're twins. They don't get along very well all throughout life, at least the stories as recorded in Genesis. Um, they, Jacob kind of tricks Esau with this stew to give him his birthright. It's a weird story. You could read it later. Then later in his life, as the dad, Isaac, is dying, Jacob once again tricks uh, Esau and somehow gets the birthright. So they're not, they're, they're brothers, they're twins. 
They don't get along. Towards the end of their life, they both have lots of children, lots of descendants. And then um, they decide, because they're not close friends, they decide, you should go live up north. Uh, Esau, you should just go live in the south. We should split up. We should... Um, we should just not be around each other. There's too much hostility. Let's just go our separate ways. So they go their separate ways. Of course, we know the story of uh, Israel, Jacob, a.k.a., and the stories of the, the 12 tribes and how they went to Egypt. And uh, less is known about the Edomites as far as the Bible is concerned, but that's how Edom comes about. They're, that's the twin brother of Jacob. That's the Edomites. And so fast forward just a little bit just to give you one more piece of context of how these two tribes didn't get along. And we, we fast forward to Moses in Egypt trying to uh, come back to Israel, the land. They're wandering around the desert. Uh, Moses tries to lead the people through Edom. You could read about the story in Numbers chapter 20 if you wanted a homework assignment. Um, and they try, Moses is like, let's take a shortcut through Edom to get back to our land. And the Edomite king says, do not pass, or none shall pass. And, and Moses says, come on, if, if our sheep or cows eat anything, if we drink any water, we'll pay for it. We'll stay on the main road. And the king of Edom says, none shall pass. And so they have to go all the way around Edom. So just further the anxiety of Edom and Israel. Um, so, uh, so that's the Edomites. Not the best of friends, Edom and uh, Israel, but that's who they are. Here's a picture of Petra, and Pet the city of Petra happens to be in what is today uh, Jordan, which was Edom. So here's a picture of Petra. We, had, we just read the scripture in Obadiah, this prophecy against Edom where um, they, they prophesy against the people who live high in the mountains. And so this is a famous uh, uh, place, Petra. Does anybody remember this from Indiana Jones' Last Crusade? <laughs> okay, sweet. So that's the same place it's in modern-day Jordan. Um, and so the, these are the Edomites, the people who live in the rocks, the people who live way up and look down upon Israel. And so this prophecy against Edom comes true that while they should be brothers, brother countries, they should love each other, they should um, be, be friends as countries are friends, um, they are not. So bear with me. We're going to read the entire book of Obadiah, just 21 verses. We already read verse 4, so everybody turn to Obadiah, uh, verse 5, and we're going to continue reading this prophecy against Edom. So once again, this big context of Edom kind of gloating, laughing at, rejoicing as Israel is being destroyed, even though they should be friend countries, friend cities, they are not. So verse 5 says this, uh, if thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. They would, would they not steal as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But oh, how Esau will be ransacked. Remember Esau? That's the Edomites. Uh, so we're getting some history now. Um, as hid, hidden treasures will be pillaged. All your aliens will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat uh, your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. On the day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will turn to you upon your own head. Just as you drank from my holy hill, so the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and they, um, as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess its inheritance. Verse 18, 
Jacob will be a fire, and Joseph, Joseph is a descendant of Jacob, will be a flame, um, and Esau will be stubble, and they will set upon him fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. The people from the Negev, that's the south, the south desert, will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead, and the company of Israel exiles who are in Canaan uh, will possess the land of Zarephath, and the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Zepreth, Zeprathad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom of for the kingdom will be of the Lord's. We just read an entire book of the Bible, people. It has a lot of context. I know it's it's pretty sweet, but I imagine you're not that excited because. The, the book basically of itself, the theme of Obadiah to consider it is that of destruction. Obadiah is, could be a prophet of destruction. We're going to talk about Joel, another prophet of destruction. But the theme of this is just one point. Obadiah, the whole book has one point. The point is to, 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 to tell Edom that they're going to get theirs. They had their day of laughing at Judah as it was being destroyed, as people were carrying off things from Jerusalem, but Edom will get theirs. Why did they laugh? Why did they rejoice instead of being an ally? Who knows, but they are going to get theirs. And so the whole book is kind of just saying, I guess the theme that I can take out of this is that um, that we as the people of God, when someone meets, mistreats us as the people of God, God is going to look out for us. God will uh, avenge. God will be the great judge in the end, get people back who destroyed or rejoiced or gloated over us being destroyed. And while that's really not the most uplifting of messages, that is the message, that is the theme of Obadiah. And so now you know the rest of the story. So let's continue on. So we just talked about an entire book of the Bible, Obadiah. We're moving on now to prophecy in general, which will be a continuing theme for the month to come about what is prophecy um, I want to present that question to you in just a second. What is prophecy? But I want to give you a definition of prophecy and kind of uh, we'll spend the rest of uh, next month talking about prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, the minor prophets and how they prophesied. But this big theme that we really will just kind of ask more questions today about prophecy like we did last week. We won't get to any answers specifically about prophecy today, but we will as the, as the months and the weeks, uh, the month progresses as the weeks progress. And so I want to give you the definition of prophecy. Um, are you ready to write down the definition of prophecy? I kind of has looked at lots of different definitions on various websites and encyclopedias and dictionaries. And so I came up with this definition, which will just rock your mind. This will be the most awesome definition of prophecy you've ever heard in your entire life. So drum roll, please. <clears throat> Thank you. Prophecy, uh, a message from God. And I kind of built it up as the greatest definition in the world of prophecy because really it's not. I was being sarcastic. This, the, just prophecy, if we just define it as a message of God, I guess in some, um, some circles this would be a good definition because it just has so much uh, broadness to it. Anything that anyone 
could say, oh, this is a prophecy, would fall under the definition of a message of God. In fact, even other religions could jump on this definition of prophecy and just say, oh, a message from a higher power, whatever that other religion believes in. And so this, this definition of prophecy is so broad that it makes it actually a horrible definition because it doesn't have any bite to it. I mean, it's like, oh, duh, of course, Prophecy is a message from God, but it's not specific enough. It doesn't have any specificity. It doesn't have any bite to it. Do you realize what I'm saying when I say bite to it? Like it doesn't grab you and be like, yes, that's a great definition. This is just like, oh yeah, of course, prophecy from God. So what I want you to do um, is to, to get into a little groups to discuss. Turn to some people around you. If you're in a smaller group, turn to a bigger group. Join up with each other. And all I want you to do is to come up, what is the definition of prophecy that has bite, like that has something that actually defines what prophecy is. And then we're, we're not going to pass mics today. What I want you to do is to write down that definition in either one or maybe two definitions per table if you're disagreeing. Um, but you probably just one definition. There's three by five cards at your table. Write down the definition that you can think of. We'll, we'll pass them up later. I'll get these. We'll talk about them in the weeks to come of what you defined was prophecy. But give a definition that has some sort of bite to it. Ready, get set, go. All right, I'm probably, uh, it sounds like I'm about to cut you short, but um, uh, I guess you could continue writing as I'm talking, but I have a picture of a prophet. This is just a, a prophet that I found online. I, I typed in prophet, and this picture came up. And this is kind of the image that you have of a prophet, don't you think? Like that old guy writing something. Um, and that kind of goes, you know, just a long ways in our head of what a prophet is. But I think as this month progresses, as, as uh, we talk into February about the minor prophets, we'll talk about prophecy for today, New Testament versus Old Testament. How many of you in your group talked about New Testament versus Old Testament prophecy? Anybody? A couple? Okay. How many of you um, talked about how prophets uh, predict something in the future? Anybody mention that as part of their definition? That's a great definition. In fact, if you go to dictionary.com and type in prophecy, their definition is actually quite short and sweet. It's just like, oh, a prediction. But that only goes so far because the next book of the Bible that we're going to study in our series is Joel for the rest of the time. And Joel doesn't really predict anything in the future. He kind of does. But his main emphasis is just talking about something that has happened in the past and saying why God did that. And so it, that's part of a definition. If you put down um, prophecy, like that the, the prophecy is a future prediction, that has some more bite to it. That's great. Leave your definition if that's what you put down. But it doesn't encompass all prophecies, especially those of the minor prophets. If um, some of you put down something like, oh, minor prophets speak against evil. Yeah, that's true, but not always. If you, if you put something down about the, the prophets of the Old Testament or poets, that's, that's very true. Like a lot of them, all 12 of them, you could argue were written very well and somewhat poetical ideas, allegorical ideas uh, being written down. If some of you wrote um, this idea, maybe some of you are like, oh, the prophets of the Old Testament have this role in God's people that's different than maybe judging, maybe different than 
um, ruling. It's, the prophets aren't the kings. The king role is to be the king. The prophet's role is to bring the, the, what God is saying, delivering messages of God to God's people for a certain time. And so prophets maybe know what time it is, figuratively speaking, that they know uh, what is going on in the spiritual realms. I think all these are great ideas to write down that have a little bit more bite to them than just defining prophecy as simply a message of God. And so um, thanks for taking the time to do that. We'll, 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 I'll take those. You, I think you just leave them on your table and the, the Sunday School leadership team will pick those up later and, and I'll get those and maybe we'll talk more about that next week. But I wanted to get into the prophet uh, Joel um, and talk a little bit about who he was and, and this book with the time, I think we have like uh, 20 minutes left for the Mill Sunday School and talk about Joel very quickly because Joel kind of breaks the mold. If, if your definition of prophecy is future prediction, which in a lot of cases is true, that's what prophecy is. Um, Joel kind of breaks the mold of that and just talks about something that has already taken place. And so the background of the book of Joel is kind of like Obadiah in that we really don't know who Joel was. Um, we, we don't know... Um, when exactly he was. There's, there's three chapters, so it's a little bit longer of a book than Obadiah, but still, of course, it's in the Old Testament, one of the shorter books. Um, no future prediction. Joel, uh, here's a picture of him as uh, a tapestry of the early church. Uh, Joel writes out this prophecy, and what's so interesting about Joel is that he has allusions in other books of the Bible. So other prophets, the other major ones, the other minor ones of the Old Testament, quote Joel quite extensively. And, 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 or maybe it was Joel that quoted them because we're not really sure, once again, when Joel lived. And so somebody copied somebody. Um, either Joel copied some of the other prophets or the other prophets copied Joel, depending on who was first, Joel or the other prophets, we're not sure. But there's passages, exact verse, verses that are identical in Joel and Isaiah, Joel and Ezekiel, Joel and Zephaniah, Joel and Malachi, Joel and Obadiah, the book we just read, Joel and Micah, and Joel and Amos, the book that we studied last week. So there's lots. Either Joel was this book that was around that everybody was already knew about and was copying from, or Joel came last and he was just a copycat and copied the other prophets that came along. We're really not sure, but we do know that there's a lot of consistency between the exact verses of Joel and some of these other books of the major and minor prophets. And of course, the greatest um, quotation of Joel that we as Christians celebrate and like to talk about, the famous one, is of course the, the quote of Joel at Pentecost. And so here's a painting of Pentecost. So Pentecost is this New Testament thing. Just to refresh your memory, it's Acts chapter 2. Jesus has come, died, been resurrected, then ascended to God. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. The the disciples, New Testament now, are waiting for, for the Holy Spirit to be given. The Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost, and everyone starts speaking in tongues. People think they're crazy. You've drunk too much wine. Peter stands up and says, it's only nine in the morning, not even not enough time to go drinking, which isn't really a good, you know, if you're in you know, the college world, you just know that that's, if your friends are drunk at nine in the morning, it's like, yeah, they're drunk at nine in the morning. They're idiots. They're stupid. They, they drink all day and night. They're, anyways, so Peter's like, it's nine in the morning. They're not drunk as you suppose. He says, 
sorry for the silly joke, he says, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied um, 800, 400-ish years ago when he said, so you can turn to Joel chapter 2, this is the great prophecy, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, maybe some of you know this passage by heart, Joel 2, 28 says, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons, Um, And daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so Peter in the New Testament says that is what happened. Joel the prophet prophesied that this great event would happen. And here it is today. We're speaking in tongues. We're prophesying. The Holy Spirit has come down and uh, we're prophesying. Old men are dreaming dreams, etc. The, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being poured out. This day has finally come. So that's this, this little piece of, of beauty inside the book of Joel. But the book of Joel in general, um, if you look at it as a whole, Joel would probably can be considered a prophet of destruction because he recaps a, a natural disaster that had just happened. Turn to Joel chapter 1, and you will see it begins with the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. And he says, hear this, you elders, listen to all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened? Is happened past tense, future tense? Past tense, yeah, it's not a trick question. So this event has already happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors. Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children, to the next generations. And then what the locust swarm has left, past tense, already happened. The great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have eaten, other locusts have eaten. So Joel is prophesying about a natural disaster that had just happened. He wasn't future predicting it. He's like, this thing just happened. These uh, swarm of locusts came in, and I think he's talking about a literal swarm of locusts that came in and ate everything, so much so that, that generations upon generations will talk about this great and horrible day when all these nasty locusts... Does anyone like grasshoppers? How could you... They just bounce on you and they get on your neck and they they have little sticky legs and they're just gross and they eat everything, especially a swarm of them. They come in, they eat every green thing. When all the green things are eaten, they eat like the buds of the trees. After the buds are gone, then they eat the bark of the trees. And then after all that's gone, they eat clothes, they eat linen, they eat leather, they eat paper, scroll, they eat anything they could get their mouths on. And so they're just gross little creatures. And and Joel is prophesying that the reason why those grasshoppers came, those locusts came and ate everything and all the crops and left it in devastation is because the Lord sent them. And so as we think about this and we think about the theme of Joel, we have to realize that it does state quite explicitly that Joel is that Joel, that God is the one who brought the locusts to Israel, or excuse me, to Judah, to destroy the land because of sin or whatever. But God wants the people to respond to Him, and so if you look at the book of Joel, you see these glimpses of like, you, you know, people ask questions as to why something like this would happen. You know, we ask the question today, if an earthquake happens and things are destroyed, if people are killed, we ask, why did that happen? And even science doesn't really have an answer for why earthquakes happen. You know, we talk about plate tectonics and things like that, but like when they happen and why they happen, we still are like, why would God do this? Why would God allow this? Why would God allow a tsunami or a hurricane or a tornado or a natural disaster or, you know, a, all of a farmer's crop to be wiped out by 
by a bunch of insects. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God do that? Well, Joel, in this time of Judah's history, says, well, the reason why that happened is because of sin, but I want the people to respond to me. This is God speaking through Joel. God ultimately wants his people to respond to him. It's like God is getting their attention with this disaster, which is kind of... um, not like a, it's kind of a Debbie Downer book, once again, to, to bring that theme of the whole of the minor prophets. These aren't very uplifting, exciting books to talk about and share with friends that, that influence people. These are, these are Debbie Downer books explaining and talking about some of the disasters that happened, explaining that maybe God was the one who brought that. So if you turn to Joel chapter 1, verse 14, Joel wants them to declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Joel continues this great prophecy written on the scroll um, in chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Joel chapter 2, continuing in verse 13, says, rend your heart and not your garments. This beautiful verse of like rending clothes, like ripping, like, oh, I'm so sorry, just ripping your, you know, rend your heart and not your garments is what the Lord wants uh, the people of Judah to do, to turn from their wickedness, to say they're sorry, to ask for forgiveness. This theme of why would God cause this disaster? Well, to get their attention. He wants those people to turn, to repent, to turn to God. Um, Continuing in verse 3, It says, for the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Verse 14, this question that we've heard before when we talked about uh, the book of Jonah. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. And so it's this idea, who knows? We heard that when Jonah went to the Ninevites, the big, bad, evil Assyrian empire. And says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The people are like, let's turn to God. Let's repent. Let's, let's do anything we can. Because who knows? God may have mercy and not bring upon the disaster he threatened. I think that's a beautiful question to ask if you're having a horrible day, a horrible week. You, you know, it's just like, I'm just going to keep doing what I know to be true, what I know to be right. I'm going to turn my heart to the Lord because who knows? Tomorrow may be better. Who knows? Tomorrow may bring blessings and no more curses. Who knows? God may deliver me from this peril that I'm in. And, and so to this kind of conclusion of, of, of this Joel and this Obadiah cha- chapters, these books of, of, I think, destruction, Joel chapter 2, uh, verse 20, 25 says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten um, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarms, my great, my great army that I sent to you. So it's like Joel is saying, who sent the army of locusts to destroy? Well, God is speaking here, and it says that God sent them to the people. Um, verse 26 says, you will have plenty to eat. So he's saying, I will repay you for what the locusts ate. I'm testing you now. I'm, I'm get, sending you through trials. That's what, that's what the Lord is doing to these people but it's ultimately to, to make them respond. And ultimately, God is going to return back what the locusts have eaten. Verse 26, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders among you. 
Never again will my people be shamed. What an awesome promise. Verse 27, then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will I let my people be shamed. And so it's this big answer to this big question of in destruction. You know, why would God allow this natural disaster? Why would God allow this? Well, ultimately, God wants us to respond to him. And so I bring up the quote, this great quote, that's the sweet quote of the day that we always put a quote on these skillets is a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, And C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I think that is, uh, again and again, we see in Scripture two things. A, that God wants to bless us, not to curse us. That God wants us to respond to him. But there are these times when he has to use something like a destruction, something like pain to get to our hearts, to, to make us turn to him. And that, this message today, I realize, is not nice. It's not safe. It's not fluffy. It's not rainbows and, and puppies. This is a very hard message. And, and I'm not about to tell you individually, you personally, if you're going through something horrible to say, oh, God is the one causing that. There's other causes throughout the context of Scripture. Satan does bad things. Just your own consequences, that, that brings bad things. Just bad people doing bad things brings bad consequences. But sometimes we do see in the context, uh, the specifically today in the Minor Prophets, that God is the one who brings to us a package. And in that package, it's not bows and puppies and rainbows, but inside is pain and maybe disease, and maybe heartache, and that package came from the Lord, and we open it, and ultimately the reason for the package is for us to respond to our God, for us to love Him, for us to rend our hearts and not our garments. And this, this very hard message that I bring today is, is that ultimately God wants us. He wants our hearts, and He'll do anything, everything to get to us, to get to our hearts, potentially even if that means bringing a destruction, bringing pain. And I realize that this message isn't very nice today, um, but, but it is what it is. I'm reading from the context of Scripture and just bringing out themes of Obadiah and Joel. And so um, we're going to pray. Um, we're ending early today. Um, and, and so I want to give you a discussion question. So we're going to pray and then kind of leave you with the discussion that we'll, we'll talk about maybe next time. This discussion question is just about prophecy. Have you ever had a firsthand experience with prophecy? Maybe you felt that the Lord gave you a message for yourself or for someone else, or maybe you, you felt that the Lord gave someone else a message for you, and then they told you, and you're like, wow, that was, that was I don't know what to call that other than prophecy, a message from God. So we're going to pray and close, and you're free to leave after we pray. But if you want to stay and continue discussing, because we're ending a little early today, you can with this discussion question, but let's, let's pray to close. And God, we do tell you that we will respond to you. We will respond to you in the, in the joys of life. We will respond to you in the destructions and the, the, the bad things, the bad days that come to us. We will respond to you. We will turn our hearts towards you. God, when, when we are blessed, we will, we will respond to you with, with greatness. God, when we are um, in, in the depths of depression or going through something, God, we will respond to you and know that you ultimately have blessings for us, that you ultimately are looking out for us, that you ultimately are speaking to us and, and loving us even in these circumstances. And so, God, we worship you, we praise you, and everybody said, Amen.
All right, sorry to, sorry to leave on a Debbie Downer, but um, if you would like to stay and discuss this question, please feel free. Peace until next week.